Oh, I think I need a drink. It has actually been kind of a long day. <clears throat> Have me a stiff one. As long as you're not going to rattle around a giant ice cube for an hour. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. Oh my god. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave. How is everybody doing? <laughs> this is James, and I'm doing well. How are you doing, Evan? I'm, I'm doing. Evan for, for the listeners at home, we just woke Evan up because he committed to this evening, and as it got closer, he started backpedaling, so we made sure he stayed awake to bring you your Restoration Entertainment. I tried my best. So... Evan, Look what I made for David. What is it? Oh yes, finally right, for, we finally we we did it. Didn't we for, say we were going to do that back like last Christmas or something? Yeah, forever ago. So for the <laughs> listeners at home that may or may not know Dave's shop history past, he uh, he had a refrigerator hanging up in his shop. Dave, you want to share the quick origin story of this? Yeah. So I, I essentially. Uh, I, I figured out a way to suspend everything in my shop, either up off the ground or off-site or whatever, because I was having a concrete floor poured, and, uh, you know, up to and including storing heavy machinery on a platform, which I built. There's a video on the channel. Uh, and at one point or another, the refrigerator, uh, which came with the shop, fell down a flight of stairs or fell down some <laughs> rigging to get it off of this second-floor mezzanine that I was deconstructing that had crash landed down into the floor and then i lifted it up off the floor using some 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 straps and a uh and a uh, a chain fall that was you know like on a trolley in the shop so that yeah. dangled in the in the shop for probably a year uh and it got its own hashtag it was hashtag dangle fridge so <laughs> <laughs> james yeah. just found this tiny refrigerator for me that i can hang from my rearview mirror in my car that's right <laughs> Yeah, I was waiting because you were getting into the vehicle restorations. I'm like, I'm not sure which one he's going to drive first. And then you got the Plymouth rolling. I'm like, all right, well, the next time we record, I'm going to share it off, and then I'll, I'll put it in the mail. And now you're working on the cab, right, of the um, Power Wagon. I just started, yeah. Very exciting times. I almost forgot about it. It's been, it's been a while since you've moved in there. I mean, a while for us, like at least a couple of years. And I, I forgot that you, you basically kind of had a house in the back of your, your shop that you tore out. Yeah. Yeah, a little, a little apartment thing. Yeah, it was like a practice space. The guy, they were like these three old guys that that used to own the shop jointly, and it was like they're they worked on they did woodwork for I think their church or something like that or like whatever they felt like doing. The one dude restored cars in the garage part in the front, and then there was like a second floor kind of mezzanine that split the back half of the space into having a platform, uh, and that was like the practice space for their cool like old dude band. And nice. uh, yeah, it just it had to go. It like I would hit my head on the I beam because there were I beams in there that supported the roof, and they like dipped down, you know, well well into your headspace. So if you weren't paying attention, you're crushing your head every time, and it just it didn't work. It had to go. So yeah, it was neat. For those you know, check out the YouTube channel. There's video of the demolition. A lot of fun. Good times. You're not gonna put anything two stories back in there, right? You're gonna put a bathroom in the back, but you're not going up, are you? 
Um, so there is a there's so the the shop was built in 1924 as a as a horse care as like a horse carriage uh carriage house I guess sure. like a stable. There is a hayloft uh that's like 15 by 15 square that kind of jumps up uh, above the roof line. So I may turn that into an apartment at some point, but uh, you know, short term, no, I'm not going to build up anything. It was there was a plan for that at one point, but it just kind of got. It got nixed. My engineer uh, looked at the footings for the the structure that holds the roof up and was like, "No way, not big enough to support a second floor." Mm. No dice. Yeah. You and that was about the time you were looking at your house that you have now, right? That was actually well, it was it was like six months before I wound up looking at houses because I was planning on on building a second floor under the shop, and that was going to be my my house and my my shop, mm-hmm. but uh the uh yeah i had like i my dad's oh, no 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 i'm sorry my best friend's dad was or is a engineer slash architect and i had them draw me some plans up and when the structural engineer came in to look he was like yeah this can't happen sorry without like it would cost like a hundred thousand dollars just to get the space ready to build a second floor i was like oh, oh man no way so yeah what are you gonna do speaking of construction did you finish your uh your construction project mine the porch uh roof thing didn't you build like a porch oh yeah uh last summer my quarantine project was a front porch um never followed up with you on that i was curious yeah we we put a metal roof on it uh, about two weeks before it snowed and then it lived under snow for five months uh my house has a very steep angle, so this is actually the first roof I have that's at a, a shallow angle, so I had to go get a snow rake, and it was my first experience of pulling snow off the roof before it turned into sheets of ice, because it, it would calve right off, right onto the stairs, so I could just imagine, like, four feet of snow crushing my tiny children on the way to school. <laughs> so, I got myself another chore out of it. I just love it. Um, Should have made, yeah, it a, uh, made it a heated roof. Yeah, yeah right. Because you know, money's <laughs> that's what the sun for Evan. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> um, so I, I got all the the meat and potatoes and the roofing of that done. I was saving some of the final little trim work. We got to uh, put the like the shiplap boards on the the ceiling, and then a, a bit of the siding work against the house. And I was going to do that this spring, but lumber prices right now are yeah, that's uh, crazy. That's disturbing. Crazy. Trying to decide what I'm going to do next. I'm actually working off the back of the garage right now. I'm digging a long trench for a footing so that I can put a shed roof off the back. I'm really tired of tripping over my lawnmower parts and snowblower parts and all my lawn equipment that's just scattered around the garage. So once I build this shed roof off the back, all of that's getting out of the garage. And then I can just have the Universal Woodworkers in in my side of the garage, garage bay. So I won't have to trip over that stuff, and it'll make it a little bit nicer. So a bit of a means to an end, but. Yes, I mean, speaking of lumber prices, though, I mean, we all know it's crazy right now, but you know, hats off to all those, those stereotypical dads who saved every single little piece of wood that they ever found in their entire life. And their their family was like, what are you ever going to use that for? And they're, well, they're laughing now because they have all the stock. They're ready to go. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Genius. Well, normally, well normally, normally in the winter, every time I, I do a woodworking project, I take all the offcuts and chuck them into uh, a burn pile, and the burn pile eventually thaws out. And now I'm looking at all that wood, going, ah, 
probably not going to burn much of this. I'm going to use this for like concrete forms and like all kinds of other like whatever projects. But Jeez. Yeah. did I see? I did I see it's a hundred like a hundred bucks for like a three by three quarter piece of ply plywood right yeah, now. Yeah, pretty much ninety five. Yeah. Some oh, places ninety ninety five bucks for a four by eight sheet of plywood, three quarter yep. inch. Yeah, two by four by eight foot around me just hit uh, eight fifty. Yeah, and it used to be like a dollar. $3. dollars fifty. That's crazy. I guess if you think about all the logistics involved with, you know, felling a tree and putting it on a truck, carrying it to a, a sawmill, carrying that load from the sawmill to whatever, and then sitting on that wood forever, however long, what do they do? What do they kill and dry them? Yep, those yeah. guys and then trucking that again to another place and then that probably another place after that it ends up at Lowe's or Home Depot say the there's another podcast I listen to Shannon's lumber industry updates um, and he goes into the whole background of how it happened there's another issue too with the shutdowns even last year um, there's a labor shortage right now just because they can't have too many people in the same spaces. So that huh. that's just so many hands handling so much material. But yeah. you think about it with sawmills shut down, that means, you know, there were guys felling trees and they were just filling up train cars with nowhere to go. And right. when lumber mills came back, especially the ones that needed uh, pressure treatment where they're putting them into an oven, basically soaking them in chemical chemicals and then cooking them. Yeah. Uh, that is a, finite flow rate there's only so big a vat and so big of an oven that can handle things at a certain amount of time to get the final you know code approved result okay. so they have miles and miles and miles of train cars waiting to get into that but that's the pinch point and mm -hmm. so they can okay. only process a certain amount of wood and get it out and so that supply and demand basically comes down to once they turn the, the process back on the trees are ready to go in, but you can't actually produce anything faster unless you like got rid of compliance with rules and specifications. So yeah, that's why if you find now, if you need wood, I, I would look up local sawmills. I mean, if it's just for like planter beds or, you know, whatever, if you're not trying to get mill uh, specific wood for construction ratings and wind loads and whatever, but if you're just trying to get project wood, go to a local sawmill because they've got, Stuff that's more interesting, probably bigger boards, and people are getting stuff way cheaper. I know Jimmy Duresta sided the inside of his uh, his barn with yep. one by eight, and he he did the square footage calcu calculation, and it came out to being like less than fifty percent if he had tried to do it just an OSB. And so you're talking about you know rough sawn, good looking wood from a sawmill is less than half the cost if you were doing some ugly like OSB. So it's wow. it's wicked right now to get uh, engineered wood products. Hmm. Well, the good news is, fellas, um, morning wood is still free. So I'll talk more after that. <laughs> That's right. Except you guys are old now, so there, there's going to be a, a fault in the supply chain there. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Evan, I'm going to give you a chance to speak so that you don't fall asleep. How are things thing. in the Geezy home? Oh, we're good. We're good. Just hanging in there. We we did uh, we did have the stomach bug last week, so that wasn't very nice. Cool. You know, out of out of all these out of all these things, you know, worried about COVID and and trying to stay safe 
that way he, he kind of forgot about the the normal uh, things that happen. So you know, my my son was at daycare, and um, I think he got it from there, and then he just gave it to us. So that was a that was a rough weekend, but other than that, you know, we survived and made it through, and just uh, you know, keep on trucking along. I mean, going going through the year here, getting close to the end of the school year, it's kind of crazy that. You know, we've been through almost this entire school year with uh, dealing with Corona-related items, and but it's getting there. So summer's coming up, and hopefully we'll have more time for some projects. I mean, I have built um, I built a new workbench in the basement, so that was good. So I have some more space for that. Getting uh, that was actually lumber that I had in stock. I, I just speaking of that, I would not want to go buy the lumber for a workbench now. Yeah. Um, so I. I had that in stock already cut. I just needed to put it together, so that was good. Took up a little bit of time, but yeah, in the summer, I'm looking forward to getting some more projects done, having more updates for you guys, uh, but as of now, I'm just busy being a dad and living that life right now. You gotten to do much picking? We talked about it real brief about you and, and Steve going uh, on our last episode. Yeah, yeah. we. Um, I did go with Zach the other day. Uh, we went to the opening day at a, a flea market that's uh, not too far away from us. It was actually pretty disappointing. There was mm. um, hardly any people there. Now, it was I think it was forecast to rain, but still, you know, opening day for these things is usually pretty popular, and it wasn't raining currently, so you'd think that people would show up. So I don't know what happened there, um, but we did see, you know, a couple little things. He managed to pick up some stuff. He, he normally does. He... He's less picky than I am, so he, he <laughs> found stuff all over the place. Um, cool. So I did do that, and yeah, I, I haven't been a, been out a whole lot, but got to go a couple places here and there. I I did pick up a you know it might not seem interesting to you guys, but I did get a nice uh, foot operated um, flame proof trash can. So I I've, I've always wanted to get one of those. You know they're normally they're cool. They're normally like a hundred bucks, and I got it for twenty bucks off a of marketplace, so that was a good deal. Nice. One of the uh, what what, uh, what era would you suggest it was made in? Any any idea on the year? Well, it says made in USA, and it has all the like the you know legal requirements listed on it. You have like you know meet such and such code and things, and I okay, it's, it's the red one, so I you know the standard you know oily rag residue trash can. So <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think they still make them, so I, I, I believe think it, it, could yeah. be, it could be new, newer. Yeah. I mean, but it's good to have. Does it have one of those? Oh, excuse me, I'm yawning in here. Um, does it have one of those like the boilerplates on there that says like you uh, underwriters laboratory and stuff like that? Just sort of riveted on. Those are kind of fun. Sometimes you catch. Yeah, that. I, I believe it does. I mean, it has a has a big sticker that has a lot of lot of information on it. it does I don't think it has like a physical tag that's riveted on it, but it definitely has all that information listed on it on the sticker. Gotcha. Those are cool. I actually, I, I picked a few of those up. There was a machine shop closing not far from where I live, and I wound up snagging a couple of them from them for like pennies on the dollar. But they're really like, if you don't have one of those in your shop, and you ever work with any kind of like weird, potentially uh, spontaneous combustible, yeah, anything that basically anything's flammable that you apply with a rag, kind of get, yeah, gets on there, and it's it is pretty scary how they. If you get them all packed up and it gets warm, they can just burst into flame and, you know, you end up burning down your shop or accidentally burning down your garage. So I was like, 
yeah, for twenty bucks, I'm I'm gonna protect myself from that. So yeah, spark. I have funny. I have a uh, a special trash can outside for that exact reason. So it may get really hot. It might go through some cycles, but uh, it's not gonna take my building down. Yeah, nicely done. Yeah, good deal. My my go-to anymore is I use a Homer bucket, just a plastic five-gallon bucket, and fill it with water, and I just soak them until the thing. Yeah, yeah. Closed. They can't burn up their water. <laughs> true. So you're, true. you see, you're, you just dilute it. What do you do with yeah. all the water afterwards? I mean, like I have one of those. Like it's a, the one I have is in my garage, and I so I did a couple projects with the number one culprit. Uh, for the spontaneous combustion, which is boiled linseed oil and rags, mm-hmm. and um, and that is uh, so like I use that on all kinds of like metal projects where I'm just restoring paint and stuff like that just to bring the luster back. But anyway, yeah, I just fill a bucket with water, and when I'm done with the rag, I just toss them in there. They soak up the water, and they can't be on fire if they're water. So, Works Dave, out. what's what's That's the, the logic? <laughs> yeah. That, that made me made me think of Dave. What's the what's the firefighting term for when like a building is pretty sealed up and it's like smoking very very heavily, and then if you were to open a window or a door or try to like gain access, it like blows up like a bomb. Do you, uh, you know the, what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's the name of a movie. Maybe you remember. It's like flash flashpoint. No, no, backdraft. Backdraft. A backdraft. Yep. So yeah. what happens in a backdraft is the. Uh, the temperature so all right you need three things for there to be a fire you need you need air well actually it's four now it used to be three the scientists changed their minds you know stupidity <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah you need, you need fuel you need heat uh and you need uh oxygen and you need a self can a self uh sustaining chain reaction or a can whatever a chain reaction happening so uh in a building which is very tightly sealed and a fire, a fire can you know, burn, burns, let's say, all the contents of a room, say, and it gets so hot in that space uh, that the room is extremely hot, but it, the heat can't dissipate because it's well sealed. The fire's consumed all the oxygen in the space. Um, so you have heat, you still have fuel available, um, and the reaction kind of is still going because things are smoldering, like, you know, that's in a smoldering stage, but there's no, like, open flaming combustion, right? Well, so then me, the truck guy, comes up with my big, you know, metal tool, like, oh, me smash window, me fire. <laughs> and I smash the window out, and then, the, you know, we've got the high pressure to low pressure, right? So we're uh, we're going to suck a bunch of heat. Wait a second. So, like, uh, I can't explain this well. Dave's doing what? science real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so now the, um, the air is going to be entrained into that hot space from the breaking window. So we've got fresh air is basically sucked into that space because it's been, it's trying to pull in air to feed itself. The fire is trying to entrain air. So as soon as that window breaks, the air rushes in it, all of the elements rejoin and it just like explodes in this extremely hot environment. Just everything turns to flames all of a sudden. Yeah, it's awesome. You, uh, you ever been a part of one of those? Um, no, I have not. I can't say I have. I've, I've witnessed, so the other fire phenomenon is flashover, which, uh, so that's like, let's say I got a a fire in a room and all the contents are burning and like the walls are getting really hot. The ceiling's really hot. The carpet's really hot. Everything is extremely hot that, you know, um, let's say all of the, the objects in the room are so hot that they can't, they can't absorb any more heat, right? They've absorbed all the heat they can take, and now they start sending heat back into the room. So everything 
is so hot that it's no longer sucking up heat. Now it's actually reflecting heat back onto all the other things in the room, right? Mm-hmm. It gets so hot the objects are no longer sucking in the heat. They're reflecting heat at each other. It's just getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and everything is like – it gets to the point where um, the temperature has risen so much that even the smoke and the products of combustion in the room become on fire. So like carbon monoxide burns at like 2,200 degrees, and it takes – I mean it takes a lot of heat and reflected radiant heat to cause the smoke to actually burn like that um, like all at once. So, yeah, you get to the point where everything is so hot that even the the smoke in that space gets becomes on fire. When that happens, like, a giant fireball kind of just rolls out across um, from, like, from high pressure to low pressure in the space. It's crazy. Like a major fireball. Do I sound smart right now? I feel like I sound smart. Yeah, yeah you sound really smart. I'm going to roll this back to the listener. Uh, please dispose of your oily rags in an appropriate manner. Otherwise, yeah. Dave's science lesson is going to be your reality. Yeah, don't play with matches, kids. <laughs> or boiled linseed oil. <laughs> Today's PSA, the more you know, right? G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, back on anyway, back on Evan, semi-related topic there. Talk, <laughs> Jeez, yeah. talk to me about these tie clips. Oh, no, tie clips. Is this, yeah. is, did you buy all of those, or is this a growing collection that I'm not aware of? Um, well, I, I had the original two that I posted about first, the, the little saw blade that looks like it's cutting a piece of wood. And then I have the one that looks like a vice and I had those two. And then I was, I was talking to, uh, Barry old tape on Instagram and, and he was saying that he swears he saw some more and he was going to send me some pictures and, then I just started looking them up, and apparently I mean, there's not a whole lot of information. And I was trying to look at some old catalogs to figure out what was going on with these, and I couldn't really see some. But there, you know, craftsman catalogs, there's so many things to look at and so many different versions that it's kind yeah. of hard to see it all. But apparently, from the best of my research, and this was very little information to confirm it, but I saw one source that makes it look like this was like a yearly offering from craftsmen starting in like the mid to late fifties and going till at least the eighties and like every year that craftsman would come out with a new tie clip and you would go get the tie clip as either part of a club or they would just offer it for sale, like a Hess truck kind of thing. And, uh, I, I just did some research and was looking on eBay again and, and saw that there was a lot of them and there happened to be a, solid lot for sale of most of the ones that i posted the second time and i i just ended up picking those up because you know they, they were just all available at once i mean that's not even all of them but that was a good chunk um how many have you so, got i must have missed this post i'm, I'm curious so i it's got to be at least 10 i i don't know exa- the exact number but i i have I have several and they you know one looks like a, a hand saw one looks like a vice one looks like the circular saw one looks like um, their garden shears, you know, that you would trim your bushes with. Yeah. And uh, one looks like the uh, craftsman key that you'd like get with your craftsman toolbox. Oh, cool. Um, so I, ha- I have several of them. And I'm still missing a bunch. They had like ones that look like their power tools, like a circular saw, a saber saw, um, you know, and, and a table saw and things like this. And they're just cool little little trinkets to have. You know, it's, you know, you don't get to wear, I mean, at least I don't, you don't wear a, a tie clip 
um, very often. So it's kind of like a, a cool piece. And now I have one for the next 10 years of my life. Whenever I need to wear a suit, I have a new one to wear. So there you go. Say so you take this, the wifey out on a date or any weddings you go to. Yeah. Yeah. And I can put one of those on and, and talk to the old people at the <laughs> venue. <laughs> Because they'll oh, be the only like ones that. Craftsman Tools, awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember Craftsman Tools. Well, yeah, you'll get excited old people because they'll be like, those are the best. And then new people will be like, ah, it's kind of garbage. Yeah, I yeah. get Cobalt from Lowe's. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> hey, speaking of Craftsman Tools, you got to tell our listeners about that super cool tool truck that you found. Oh, oh, that was. I mean, I didn't really find it, I, I saw it posted to the. Oh, yeah, you learned about it. I learned about it a little bit. I was talking with Dave a couple of days ago about this and um, posted to the Craftsman Tool Collectors uh, Facebook page. There was uh, a photo from a, a 1950s Sears Roebuck ad where they were in front of their administration building. And one of their tool salesmen had this was I, I can't I can't tell like there wasn't a whole lot of information, but it sounds like this wasn't like sanctioned by sears roebuck but this was back in the time when you could do something like this and they wouldn't care so (laughs) he he got a a a truck like a like a station not a station wagon i I don't even know what you'd call it wasn't it a plymouth suburban or yeah yeah a suburban kind of truck but a vintage like 1950s suburban ish truck and he converted it into basically like the first snap-on truck but for for craftsman tools and he had the windows in the back filled with a display of all the craftsman tools and he would go around to all the shops just like the snap-on or the matco truck and deliver the tools right to the people that would use them instead of having them to come to the store and it was so successful that they actually put out a next uh, another truck the following year that traveled around the country and sold tools out of the back of the truck. Nice. So that's kind of like the origin of the Snap-on truck. Um, I mean, I, I know Snap-on's been around for a long time, and I, but I, I don't know when they started doing their mobile truck sales. But apparently this Craftsman version was before all of that because this was the first mobile tool truck sale truck that they had. Uh, going and it was very very popular for obvious reasons because you could just say hey i need this wrench i'm right here on my job i need this wrench and they sold it to you and you don't have to go to the store and you're good to go so it was it was very cool to see that super cool very cool you guys have you guys seen those pictures of uh i don't know if it's an old plymouth but um the guy that opens the back of the car and it's like a a slide out machinist lathe and like a bunch of yeah yeah i've seen that mobile like mobile machine shops and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, they they did what they had to do back in the day. Sure, you could just be a traveling machinist. That'd be that'd be super cool. <laughs> I've I've always wanted to. I, mean, I think they're like the most prized out of all the military trucks. But you you know how people buy the the deuce and a half or the military five ton trucks that sure. just the regular ones. But they do have uh, self contained machine shop versions, like where it comes with a lathe, drill press, all the all the machine shop stuff that you would need. But it's in the back of the truck, and you unpack it, and it makes like a little machine shop, and you got your your stuff all ready to go, and you could drive it to wherever XYZ machinery needs fixed, and you got everything you need. So that's way uh, cool. Never never heard cool. of that. I got to look into that a little bit. Yeah, Dave Dave's gonna have one next week. Watch out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to work for the Navy, but the uh, the whole thing was everything had to be self contained to the the ship, so that was always my my favorite spot was the the machinist quarters where they had all the the stuff to, to fix when things went broken. Yeah. 
But yeah. what amazes me, though, about that, I, I mean, for one, I love the ships that these things are in because they're just engineering marvels of themselves. But the fact that where you look where the machine shop is on most of these ships and it's like there is no way for any of this stuff to get in or out of here. Yep. So that they, they were literally put in while the ship was being built and they never can come out ever again. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so it, that's kind of cool. Yeah, the battleship New Jersey is right across the harbor. In I need to go there so bad. I want to yeah. go there. We should go, man. Have we'll have a little date there because that's do it. The, and and I've actually I'm kind of it's bad. I got addicted to their YouTube channel. So I, like, me too. I watch it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do great tours. It's so cool, and it blows my mind. Not to sort of go just go on a little like rabbit hole here. The uh, the ships are so com- they're so complex. I mean, just like you said, engineering marvels. It's wild. They really did think of everything, and like clearly everything was very thoroughly thought through laid out and you know of course most of these were built well before computers were assisting these these draftsmen creating these designs and then to see it actually all laid out like this the guy on the uh, battleship new jersey's youtube channel goes and he crawls through all the crawl spaces and and he goes in all of the the voids in the ship that are you know definitely closed off to the public at all times and just seeing what these guys definitely thought through to um, to make sure that these ships were well protected from all of the awful things that were hurled at them, mm-hmm. it, it blows the mind. It's wild. Hey, yeah. Did you see the 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 video from the chain locker for the anchors? Uh, no, actually, I I saw it that it was up there, but I never watched it. What the, did you see on that? The you know number. Let's see here. Like number. 10 million and five things that I didn't know that I thought I knew was the anchors for these, the Iowa class battleships. They're 30,000 pounds each. That's, that's a massive anchor. Okay. The anchor itself weighs 30,000 pounds. And when you think of an anchor, you know, unless you're in the Navy or, or used to, you know, being on boats, you may not realize that the anchor is really not what's holding the ship in place when it's down. The anchor is just sitting on the seabed, but then they have so much chain that they lay out. The chain is what's holding – the weight of the chain is what's holding the ship in place. So it's not the 30,000-pound anchor. That just gets locked into the ground. But they let, you know, a 1,000 feet of of anchor chain out, which is even more than that anchor. And that's what's actually – it acts like a giant rubber band. So they lay it out so long that if the ship gets pulled by a current or moved around the waves or whatever, that that – anchor chain absorbs the the shock or the the load of that and it doesn't uh drag the anchor around so that was that was something else i didn't know and it, oh, it's I realized really, that. yeah you yeah. ever seen you ever seen those videos of them unspooling the anchors at high speeds when it goes bad and they, they <laughs> there's that the one yeah there's one that goes so bad it starts yeah they basically lose the and uh, they're they're not like in, in the in the chain locker video they you know, the guy is standing standing on the pile of this this massive anchor chain, and this chain is huge. And it's literally, it's bolted to the ship, but it's like the tiniest little shackle because it's it's actually supposed to break away. Like if some if the brakes were to fail on the windlass and the anchor chain runs rampant, it's actually supposed to break away and not like tear a chunk of the ship out as it's trying to <laughs> trying to go out. So right, that's good. Oh man. That's, yeah, those chains are gnarly. We were, so we were just down at the Navy Yard today, or I was down at the Navy Yard today with the kids, 
And there is an aircraft carrier that is, uh, I think the word is moored uh, there in one of the, not in, in dry dock, but just docked along the side of the, whatever. Anyway, the cha- these chain links, <laughs> my God, I mean, like you would, a single link, if you, if you were a, you know, a bodybuilder, you could carry one of these things in your arms, but it would, it would you would have to carry it like you were carrying a, a person across your arms. I mean, each one of these yeah. chains is probably, I don't know, five feet across and I don't know, three feet from side to side on the on the uh, uh, on the horizontal uh, lengths of it i mean geez the thing is they're huge yeah so i mean james james has got a little bit of of background and and reference for us but it sounds like we found a future topic naval engineering Uh, (laughs) that would be sweet naval uh restorations it'd be cool to find somebody that had some some good war stories i think it's super cool um I mean, it's both a modern day problem as much as it was 100 years ago or 300 years ago. But if you're on a boat, all you have to do is ask yourself like four or five why questions or how questions like, oh, we're out here and uh, this pipe breaks. What do you do? Okay. well, the tool to do that breaks. What do you do? Okay. well, you know, it's being used right now. What do you do? Oh, crap. Like some of the best problem solvers out there. Exactly. And so, yeah, they've always got like their emergency, you know, high pressure banding kits and they've got uh, just the wherewithal to be able to solve any number of questions with a drill press, with a lathe and with some stock material. Mm -hmm. So cool. Dave's got me thinking about that that YouTube channel again. I I highly suggest checking out the the USS New Jersey's YouTube channel because he, he does a a great job going through and showing all the different parts of the ship. And it's, it amazes me that basically the ship is so well designed. And, and when it was in like battle operation, you could flood like three quarters of the ship and it would still be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really, really cool channel. I, I recommend it too. I actually, it's, it's kind of bad because I start thinking about like, you know, maybe I could volunteer at this place. I could like, I could restore one of these spaces. How, could, how hard could it be? You know? Like, <laughs> uh, you'd make a mess of it. Philadelphia uh, man commandeers 16-inch gun turret. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just bring this back to my shop. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's cool. I got he, also has, he also has a video of him, the, the curator, crawling through one of the spare turrets that they have and on display. Yeah. It's, it's so, like, you don't even realize how big this is unless you've been there. I haven't been there yet, but I, I know these things are going to be so much bigger than I'm thinking in their head in my head because he, he literally like a full grown person crawls through the bore of this turret and has room to spare. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. My background is submarines and uh, submarines scare me to death. Like so, I, not uh, the fact of being in the water, <laughs> but just the, uh, I don't uh, know. Uh, <laughs> all I can say is if anybody's excited about that stuff and uh, it's super interesting technology and it's it's incredible you need a fleet of engineers and and scientists and problem solvers to to figure out what they're doing nowadays but smarter every day uh oh, that YouTube he's channel, great he's he, great he's he's walked through major elements of how modern day submarines work and it's you know have having that used to be part of my life i don't i don't do that navy work anymore but um the allowances that they let him go on to the submarine and he crawls down the barrel of a torpedo tube yeah, yeah. Yep. and really you are claustrophobic. A submarine's not a place to be, and the torpedo tube of a of a submarine's about a, as claustrophobic of a claustrophobic space as you get. I'm sure the Arctic Ocean, but yeah, there's some yeah, being well, being on the water. 
I mean, being on the water is one thing and being in the bowels of a ship. I mean, well, I guess being in the bowels of a ship is kind of akin to being on a submarine. But knowing that, you know, if something major goes wrong, there is little to no way out aside from some very risky rescue operations is is kind of kind of crazy. Yeah, pretty extreme for sure. And I think, too, just like the 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 restoration aspects of those things we started sort of touching on that there are, there's a ton of guys out there that do that stuff all the time i mean i feel like there's an entire workforce at the navy yard that sort of maintains the mothball fleet that we have yeah yep. yep and like that's i mean they're every day out there peeling paint off of surfaces and repainting and kind of bringing things back maintaining equipment and it's kind of cool i mean that's probably it's probably pretty boring when you do it day in and day out but i mean talk about satisfaction like that old flaky paint on on the you know a world war ii the walls of a world war ii ship scrape that all off get it down to bear start over oh yeah even the efforts to take um take decommissioned boats and turn them into museums uh mm-hmm. when they've got a historical legacy that's worth uh preserving it's yeah. an incredible amount of work you have to make it make sense for a tour so you have to clean up all the spaces, make it safe for the general public to walk through. And most of these places weren't that safe. I mean, if you yeah, even hit, even when they were brand new, they yeah. they really weren't meant for human habitation. Like you got no. this machinery and little tiny spaces, and they're like, okay, you need to crawl down into here, go across right. here, and <laughs> sit on this little plate, and you need to press the button that shoots these guns. And right. <laughs> yeah. So so the the thinking, the thought process of like, how do you welcome? the public into this space and like, and make it a story, make them walk a certain lap and make it a story and then bring it all back to look and feel and even sometimes smell like that period. Yeah. Um, It's, it's really neat because they have, you know, they'll go and do all the old paint techniques. They'll make sure they've got all the right electronics working. And so giant fuse boxes and the like. So, although, you know, I, one of the most interesting videos I thought on that on the uh, Battleship New Jersey channel was when they first acquired the ship and they wanted to get, you know, one of the main things people want to see is the gun turrets. So they wanted to get the gun turret ready to go, but the, the barrels were completely flat, like they weren't elevated, and it requires, uh, you know, massive amounts of power and hydraulics to, to run a screw that basically uh, moves the, the turret up and down. Mm-hmm. And these turrets weigh 230,000 pounds. <laughs> so they have an elevating screw that is normally ran by like, you know, a 500 horsepower electric motor. But obviously they didn't have the power to run that. So they literally went caveman and had two guys in the base of the gun pit with three foot long pipe wrenches wrenching <laughs> on the elevating screw. And over the course of a couple hours went from zero degrees up to like 30 and raise this 230,000 pound barrel up into the air. And that's how they did it. Cause they didn't have the power. That's awesome. Absolutely brutal. Amazing what you can get done with a cheater bar. That's mm-hmm. it. Give me a lever long enough. and I'll move the world. Yeah. That, that needs to go on the list is, is Naval engineering. We need to have somebody, we need to have somebody on here who, who we should just invite the curator from the battleship New Jersey onto the channel. We onto should. The would be oh, sweet. Yes. Let's do there it. you let's go. Send, let's send an email. <laughs> He seems like the kind of guy that would probably do it. He definitely seems like a major, like, he's really into it. I was going to call him a major nerd, which he probably is. He's, and I, he's a battleship nerd. 
I think I think that'd be awesome to talk to him. Actually, he, yeah. He just got he just got uh, elected. The I, I don't know the actual term, but like the historic naval ship museum association or something. He got the, he he got elected the director of that or something. Nice. Wow. That was, cool. yeah. was kind of cool. So, so you, you got your boat nerds, and then you got your train nerds, and both of them have <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we talked to Keith. Keith would fall in the train nerd. Dude, uh, train nerds are out of control, man. I took my kids to the little quick sidebar. I took my kids to the Strasburg Railroad one time, and it was a weekend, and they, they had a visiting train. They had one of the New York Central streamliner trains from the 50s, I guess. It's like this famous train. It's the number 611. Like, if you type in 611 on Google, it'll show you a picture of a streamliner train. But you know, anyway. talking about battleships and this this train, this train is huge. Yeah, it's, it's a modern. It's massive. It's gorgeous. Beautiful old train. Anyway, I'm not a train guy at all. And we go there for this thing, and, like, they're charging 20 bucks just to park your car, which is unusual for Strasburg. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, oh, there's a big train here. And I noticed that there's, like, a bunch of, like, <sighs> I want to describe these guys as, like, the greasy, fat NASCAR fans of trains. Like, these <laughs> dudes are out here. They're, like, big bellies hanging out everywhere. Everybody's got, like, six cameras, like a bunch of Asian tourists. Like, they are so excited to see this train. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm with my kids, like, all right, guys, like, we like trains, but, like, we don't really like trains this much. <laughs> meanwhile, the entire railroad track is lined with people with cameras, like, totally just, like, pitching tents watching this train. And I'm not talking about the sleeping pitching tents. These dudes were excited <laughs> to look at trains. No, no wood shortage there. No wood shortage. It was it was in full supply, and they're giving it away for free. So <laughs> we we get on the train for our train ride, right? And we're we're in the dining car. We're having lunch, going down the rails, and there is these two old dudes who, who they look like they could still live in their mom's basement, and they have their decked head to toe in like train t-shirts and hats and stuff like that. And I'm watching as we go down the rails, all these people on the side of the road, on the side of the tracks with their cameras. And I'm talking like, I'm not talking a handful of people. I'm talking like four dozen people at every intersection with their cameras. And I say to my kids, I was like, man, like, who wants to just stand outside on a Saturday and shoot a video of trains? Like, that's weird, Jake. I'm talking to my five year old. <laughs> and these dudes look across to me and they're like, what but they wanted you to say? rip my eyeballs out and use my skull as a cereal bowl. They were <laughs> murderously angry. I couldn't believe it. It was so funny. Uh, <laughs> they wanted to kill me. But oh, it was, it's wild, man. That that crew, like the train spotting group, is like out of control. There's a whole there's a whole special corner of YouTube if you want to get into trains where you can watch every train, probably at every intersection, make its way across the country. Yeah. Uh, Depending on how special the train is, for sure. Even even just those regular car, cargo trains, people film those all the time, and it's 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 a it's a special hobby. I mean, just like just like our stuff, you know, trains yeah. is, is a massive hobby for a lot of people. Right, and the, everybody's looking at us, going, "What are these idiots doing, spending fifty dollars on a caliper? Did you see? It? Look at the look at the threads. Be like, uh, it's got rust <laughs> on it, bro. You could get this at this hardware store for five bucks." Yeah, we we are totally yes, the train nerd. <laughs> to each their own. To each that's their own. A, yeah, that's true. We do. There's some. We we definitely use the word beautiful in a pretty questionable manner. Sometimes we're talking about rusty old shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. That's fun. Anyway, moving on. 
Speaking of rusty gold, can we talk about my motor? Let's do yeah. it. Talk about okay. your motor. Your motor's so, got some some issues, but it runs, but it needs oh, full work. All right, tell us about it. So the issues, I believe, are my own. Um, it is running, and the more I run it, the happier it, it's getting. It's nice and quiet. It doesn't really throw any sparks any more than a brush motor would be expected to. So I'm over my learning curve of what a brush motor should feel and look like. I think it's in good working order. So. Yes. Now my For a hundred hundred year old motor, let be yeah, hundred plus year old motor, seven right. and a half power single phase. I mean the thing's a beast. I popped the lid on it finally. I got brave enough. I took I took the um, the non pulley side off. Okay. I uh, sprayed out. I just used a uh, light compressed air. Sprayed out a bunch of the uh, goop and and boogers and stuff that had accumulated. I had noticed some fraying on some of the like tape around the, yeah. um, the wires. So I was, I was, you know, asking the, the super nerds, the, the, the group of guys online that are specialists in, in antique motor restoration, by the way, they're so helpful. Antique motor, uh, group on Facebook. Holy crap. Yeah, they're awesome. Great. Um, so I got to the point where I said, okay, I want the wiring to be done. As soon as I'm done with the wiring, I know the motor works. Um, if I've got wiring, I trust, then I can just let the motor be there's, you know, paint chipping on the housing. I'm sure you could do a head to toe disassemble and clean up and make the thing look museum quality. But right now, you know, the goal is cutting wood and then I can come back to making things look nicer once I have a operating machine. Sure. So taking the lid off is allowing me to get into the wires. The wires are probably original. They've got a rubber jacket and then this asphalt loom, which by the way, I didn't know what any of this was called until the, the antique motor guys helped me through it. But um, I said, okay, I'll buy some asphalt weave, loom, whatever it's called. Yep. I'm gonna strip back the wires, sleeve it over and I'll be good to go. It turns out it's not that easy. Uh, of course, the wire being 100 years old, the rubber kind of like infused itself into all the windings of the, the wire. And as I'm stripping it back, it's just kind of becoming a mess. Mm -hmm. so I'm like, oh, God, you know, there's no clean joint. It's not like you plug in. There's no disconnect for the plug wire to the coil wire. Like it just becomes the coil wire. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm at this crossroad, right? Because I, you know, I don't want to do this. I have the lid off now. I don't want to do this any more than an than once and i've got a welding extension cord is what i'm plugging into the wall with so modern looking it's got the multiple layers of of wire weave paper wrap and rubber. so i could bring that wire all the way through the nice porcelain penetration in the motor and just tap it in and do a connector inside the motor and just be done or i could take some extra steps, re-wrap, re-insulate, re-asphalt loom, and bring all of that out of the motor so that you could take a picture of the Century motor and the whole thing, including the wires coming out of it, looks original. Yeah. And kind of say, okay, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, with the five, ten minutes I get every night or every other night, like, what do I do with this? Is I want it to be a functioning tool, but the easy button you know, I start just introducing modern wire. I could go to Tractor Supply, 
buy some two gauge wire uh, for welding, pull it through and be done. Yep. But at what point do I need to make this thing look? Do I need to make all of it, including the wire, look a hundred years old? And that's where I'm stuck. Mm. So, like, what do you guys think? I say you take the uh, you take that welding wire that you have and jacket it in asphalt loom, so it looks so you can like kind of tuck that behind a cabinet, and then you have your like lighted plug that comes out, and that's just hiding <laughs> behind a cabinet somewhere. So it looks, <laughs> but it's not. You got to fake it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I would definitely. You know, to the to the fullest extent possible, try to try to keep the motor and all related accessories original if you can. Yeah, you're that's definitely not allowed thing. to have like an orange cord coming out of the back of that motor. Not okay. Right, and that's the thing is, you know, I have to cut away the original rubber and asphalt loom because right where it's at, right where it's frayed all the way down to bare copper, is at the motor housing penetration. Yeah, because it's part of the winding. It's not like I can pull out another couple inches and like make a really close splice or like push it in. Like this yeah. is, it's it's all or nothing. I either need to pull brand new wire all the way in and go find the coil, or I'm taking the raw copper and making it look, you know, keeping it that length and then reprotecting it as a, you know, high voltage. Line. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely try that. I mean, be, before you cut anything on the motor, I would try your best to, to preserve that. Yeah, yeah. That shouldn't be that hard either. I mean, you can probably use some. I don't know. I feel like friction. The word friction tape comes to mind, or that's probably not the best option. But just figure out a way to insulate those individual ones and just kind of fix what you've got. Yeah. So that it is. So it does stay looking original, and you can feel good about it. But. Excuse me, bar doing that, uh, do whatever's easiest and try and make it look antique. Yeah. So I, that's that's kind of where I'm leaning. I have to get the right specialty tape, and you have to do an appropriate wind and weave of the tape to build up the insulating factors. Then you got to pull a loom over it. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, not readily available stuff. Uh, yeah. I could go down that rat route and yeah if it just totally falls apart i really want the tool i mean it's really the woodworking tool part of it that i feel most fondly for so yeah. if we had found this machine and there was no motor i would have you know maybe gone and gotten whatever baldor yeah seven horsepower motor and just you know that would have been the end of the story was the belt yeah. that left it right so you know maybe if i try and it doesn't work out the end of my story is the motor itself is original, but you know, the wiring is going into a 21st century home. So yeah, that's just what I had to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, not for nothing that, that, uh, that asphalt, um, loom, asphalt impregnated loom. It yeah. looks, it looks 1920s. I mean, when you look yeah. at it, Oh yeah. It's super old looking. I, I bet you could fake, I bet you could fake it really well with a modern, with modern wiring and just doing a splice in. And it would probably look just as good as anything that you'd be able to pull off yourself. Yep. I mean, uh, with with fixing what you have on, you know, on there. I mean, See, I now, this is this is why they, I I wouldn't have wanted to touch it, but this is why I said we needed to grab that electrical box off the wall. We would have had to dig up the whole floor if we needed to get <laughs> ten more feet of this stuff. But you're right. If we had gotten a whole like ten feet of this wire that had it wasn't disgusting and cracked 
then I could then I could have raw stock, yeah. new old stock, cut that, cut that, and then that would have been my new piece. That's the other thing I can't find is somebody that has actual coil like roll of this wire that I could just buy ten feet of because that's I've tried. Um, it yeah. Most people are like restoring antique cars with this asphalt weave loom oh. stuff, um, but you can't find it in the diameter of wire for me to match it and say yeah it's it's apples to apples i'm a little worried that i'm undersized the wire and it would get hot um yeah what do you would like to leave to... Oh, okay that's what you're saying Never yeah mind. i kind of want that's why i kind of want to leave the um the wire size original and keep that all the way outside the motor so if i screw up anything um and like I start melting my welding cable, it's going to be outside the motor and that. Yeah, that, that'd be good. <laughs> I could, you know, learn a lesson out there as opposed to it getting worse inside the motor. Yeah. Don't you don't you guys hate it when you get a vintage motor and the cord does that whole um, glow stick thing where you bend it and it just, oh, yeah. just cracks, yeah. cracks like a glow stick? So frustrating. And but, how many times do you still plug it in? Yeah, it still goes. It still runs. It's fine. Just don't touch it. Just don't touch it. I usually just buy like I'll buy some. Uh, uh, or, or, or I guess what I was gonna say was I, I replace a lot of cords, but then you, you wind up. I, I like to get the. You can't really replace those like cord bend protections like right at the the joint of the cord and the tool. Mm-hmm. I wind up using fuel line for that. Like get some rubber fuel line. A lot of times. Yeah, yeah, it that works, works out pretty well. Kind of got to taper the end a little bit, but it works. So James, I, I never really never really asked because we we all saw the motor run and the motor runs very well thankfully so you know yep. thankfully it, it does but if if when we had picked this up the motor had been like you know this is no good this is the motor something's wrong with it would would you have tried to seek out uh, a, a rewinding shop to get that redone like completely redone i i probably would have taken the motor just to keep it together and i would be very anxious as I am now. And I continue to drag this out th- overthinking stuff, but I'd be anxious to see the motor turn. So I probably would have come up with something or the tool turn. I'm sorry. So I may have bought something else and just had the motor going, okay, that's just a nice sometime project. I don't know. It, it probably would have come down to price. Uh, I don't know yeah, how much. I have no idea how much that it would cost, cost, but to rewind it in the wire it is, I mean, we're talking probably it, it's gotta be a hundred and, 20 year old winding so yeah. if somebody's rewinding it they're not going to be rewinding it with new old stock it's it's going to be a modern winding and at that point you know but i think i think uh, a lot of the people that do that it's mainly to save the housing because you're not going to find a housing true. for a motor that that beautiful anymore or, um, so yeah, get, get all modern unique, internals on it yeah even the unique uh configuration of the brushes and the uh commutator um you can't really repli- replicate that these days. I, I don't think that would. I, I think uh, it really wouldn't be that different than what you presently have in there. They're just going to burn out the old stuff and yeah. replace it with new new stuff and reconnect the whatever like the um uh what, what the the repulsion induction ones have that like I'm trying to remember the right terminology, but whatever the windings go into something in the back. Mm-hmm. i'm talking about like where the brushes connect yeah does that yeah. make sense the like what, um, make, what makes it actually start yeah like the starting circuit i guess the winding don't the windings kind of plug into that sort of 
Maybe. I don't know. Whatever. They just rewire it exactly as it is. It's not like they're they're reinventing the wheel. They're just putting new windings in and reconnecting the windings the, the new windings to where the old windings went. It's not like they're making it modern. It's just replacing the 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 wires or the, the coils which would have had shorts in them. You yeah. know anything super it's not brain surgery. It's just Yeah. And and who knows? I mean I don't know how much this machine was put under much load. I mean, when we got there it looked like the only thing they were ever dicking around with was the bandsaw, and they they had those little cutout letters. So I don't know if they were really like hogging much material on this thing anymore. It mm-hmm. could be when when I put my first you know four by four through the table saw, and this thing really starts to bear down, the motor could get you know stupid hot, and uh, if it starts to get uncomfortably warm, I, I may you know start building in that concern that I've got cracking cracking windings that I should get it taken care of. And at that point, I don't know if you can chase it. You can just spray red vinyl on it and uh, seal those up. Or if you... Sometimes, yeah. If you do go all the way. I don't know how expensive it is. Uh, Evan, I guess to roll it all the way back, I have no idea. Probably would be a cost thing. I mean, I got the machine for only a couple hundred bucks. cost me about <laughs> over a thousand bucks just to get it home. Yeah. Uh, right. your uh $2,000 to rewind a motor, and I could buy a 7.5-horsepower motor for half that. I don't know. I don't know how, what I would have done. Does your engineering outfit where you work have a uh, capability to do that kind of thing? Rewind a motor? No. I mean, We're, like, most, any kind of any kind of motor shop has the ability to do that, and there's probably one in your town or, like, in the closest big city to you. Yeah. Like, I, I was I was kind of surprised just because I didn't know any better, but when I went to go and try and rebuild that Century Repulsion Induction that I built maybe three years ago... I found a shop in my town, and they had all the capability to to cook that up, cook that motor, remove all the windings, and rewind it. I, I want to say it's got it's probably a thousand bucks, or maybe less. I think usually they only for deal- your little one. Yours was yeah, three they, quarter horse. They could have done it. Yeah, that was one that they would have done for a thousand dollars. I don't remember the price. I'm just I'm ballparking. You've got to okay. figure the the cost of the labor, which is extremely specialized, and oh, the, yeah. they can pretty much charge you whatever they want because they're the next probably the next closest game is. The next big city away you know right um potentially but uh yeah it's it's yeah might be worth it any kind yeah, of specialized application like that you're not exactly you're not going to be able to replace that motor with the exact same thing with probably the same uh beefiness you know no i agree yeah and it's something i want to monitor again my goal is to be cutting wood and so far uh the loads i've seen it the amperage draw looks good. Uh, I've let it run for 10, 20 minutes, and it doesn't seem to be getting hot any more than what I'd expect a normal motor to sure. uh, warm. But I haven't seen it, you know, I haven't put like eight inch board on, yeah. on the pointer or something. I haven't put something super tall on the, the table saw, so I couldn't really answer definitively what this thing's going to do under load until I get it hooked up to that that beefy belt. You should talk to everybody's favorite the- drunk Uncle Jack English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you checked the the brushes on it? Does it the does the it brushes have life? Yeah, the brushes have a lot of life to them. They look really good. That was another thing. What I did when I pulled the lid off is I um just sprayed it down a little bit with some CRC and uh, the CRC motor cleaner and the br- the brass cleaned up really nice. The copper elements, the springs, all cleaned up. The brushes look great. I got a lot of life left to those brushes, so. Yeah. Did you pull apart any of the uh, any of that counterweighted uh, like the start circuit with like no. the brass necklace and all that stuff? No, I didn't. I just I just 
cleaned what I could get to. Again, I don't have a good working diagram. So I'm very worried if I pull something apart and like a spring goes on me, I'm not going to know the right order to put things back together. If it just kind of like, you know, explodes in my lap or just, you know, five things come apart, I go, oh crap, I don't have a good... Good I, guarantee, I guarantee you, though, the, the antique motor group, they could tell you 10 ways to put that back together. Yeah. Yeah. I, know. I, rip on, I rip on Jack English, but he actually talked me through my Century motor, which was pretty much like a scaled down version of what you have, yeah. and sent me a bunch of diagrams, uh, which I might be able to pull up. They're, they're probably buried in my Instagram somewhere, but they're, they're actually rather uncomplicated on the, on the inside of the winding or, and on the inside of the... Uh, the rotor, I guess, as it were. Yeah, I'm um, in the, the school of thought of it. It's not broken, so I'm I'm not looking to fix it. I'm a, uh, I'm just so, so tired of it not running at this point. It's <laughs> we got we got this machine a year ago in January. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that it's taken up an entire garage bay. I have now have two machines that take up an entire garage bay that haven't cut a single piece of wood yet. I it's just. And, embarrasses me a little bit i'm still pulling out my ryobi table saw yeah uh, so <laughs> i uh, yeah. i really want the stupid thing to be cutting wood and at this point it, it now you know i've built that barrier of this this stinking wire what do i do i've got the lid off this is the time do i yeah. do it you know I'll, I'll probably spend the next couple of weeks getting the right pieces i'll do it once and if it doesn't work then i'm gonna go get tractor supply weld wire and some asphalt loom and fake it and heat shrink yeah around the joint and just you'll you know. get it you'll get it no big yeah, deal fine. it's gonna look awesome it's gonna run great yeah. so sure. as soon as i popped that off and realized i was stuck i was like oh man this is one of those special nights dave dave will nod his head but evan there are going to be some special nights when your kids start getting to that one two three-year-old range where like you only get one night where you actually like stay awake through bedtime and you're like oh my yeah. god the next hour and a half is mine so I was like, yeah. all right, I had the next hour and a half is mine. I'm going to get the wiring done. It's going to be perfect. I'm going to pull it off. I've got the asphalt loom. It's going to go on. Yeah, I'm going to have my motor done in a night. And five minutes into doing the thing. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Yeah. Five minutes into doing it, I realized that I'm hosed. I don't have the right material. And yeah. five more minutes later, I realized that I'm going to spend a ton of money getting new old stock or I'm going to have to do this the old school way. And so I was like, oh my God, I've got an hour and now I've got nothing left. What do I do? So I took apart the apple. Okay. Now the apple is in a bunch of pieces. Mind you, I don't have the base off. This is when I was texting you that guys that one night. That big, big screwdriver slot. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have the right tool to get that off. I have filed down a chisel, a concrete busting chisel act as a screwdriver and i've put uh vice grips on that with a cheater bar and i basically blew up the chisel so now I <laughs> dude I, my vice i'm telling you i'm telling you you need a drag link socket you'll never look back it'll it'll Those come out or do i just get the one just just buy one just literally anyway. have to buy it to pull it apart so i can paint this thing so i can put it back together like <laughs> i was yeah. hoping to save 10 bucks but now i've made it work. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a must-have tool for the swivel-based bolts. Yeah. yeah, but I wish I had one of those when I was working on my drag link. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> James, I, I will tell you though, you've you've come a long way with with 
with your motor. You, you've gotten the, you know, at least the wiring out to the motor done, and that that was looking great. And you, you've come a long way from pull starting with a rinky-dink electric switch trying to get that original <laughs> motor to work from the yeah. other one. Yeah, yeah. you really have to move away, pal. Not being an electrical engineer, I've I've figured out the right way to do this. It's just more work. Yeah, well, it'll all be worth it when it's running and your kids are out there using it with you. And you know what I mean? Like, imagine oh, yeah. a couple of years down the road when things burn like a kitten. It's a well-oiled machine and you'll be out there, you know, teaching your kids the way. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm so close. It's one of those things where the closer you get, the more you make out of the small project to, like, finish it off. Yeah. We all have those. Well, you two do. I, I don't. I'm more sophisticated than you guys. But you. <laughs> you. you, you uh, James, ha- James has hold that. On. Let's appreciate this comment. <laughs> <laughs> James has the has the pull start electric motor story. Dave has the why can't a half an engine block be made out of JB Weld? And I, <laughs> I I don't know. I I I guess I'm not very reflective. I don't know what my my beginner story would be. I, I don't know. Sure. Evan, do you do you have those moments you just don't share? Maybe we're just dumb enough to be sharing them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I've ever been asked, but I, I couldn't like, I couldn't tell you though. I couldn't think of one. I'd, I don't know. Let me see. I, maybe I'll have to come back to it, but I, I'll have to think about it because I don't have one that like jumps out of my head. In yeah, I don't know. I'm sure I do. I mean, we all do, but I, I just can't readily think of one. I love learning on the fly, but oh my god, it affords you so many opportunities when you when you get it. When you figure it out, you go, oh, my God, this was yeah. the dumbest way possible true, true. Yep. to get this done. Yep. You, you go to school. You get you really get an education on that first one, and the rest go just fine. God, I spent – I was uh, trying to figure out when I was uh, putting the hood back on my Plymouth, uh, and I was installing the, the springs that kind of put a little bit of tension on the hood, like when it's lifted up so that it'll close easily and lock itself into place when it's in the up position. Yeah, yeah. The first one took me over an hour to install, to like get it in tensioned and then hooked into the thing. The second mm-hmm. one took me four minutes. Right. <laughs> but literally. That's kinda like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the same way with. Um, it, it's basically the same thing. The the clock spring on a drill press handle. Like oh, yeah. When I first took apart one of those, it I was like, "What voodoo witchcraft is going on in here? And how do I get this <laughs> massive <laughs> spring back in this tiny little hole now?" And then the next one I did, I was like, oh, okay, I got to figure it out. We're good to go. Man, you aren't alone, dude. That My my one uh, drill press restoration video, I get asked all the time how to reinstall the clock spring. That is, like, probably the number one request on the comments of, of like, when people reach out. Nobody uh, can figure that thing out. Aside, all- aside from berating you and telling you how crappy of a job you're doing, they actually ask normal questions. Occasionally in between <laughs> the angry old uh, boomers screaming at me <laughs> on, on uh, YouTube. Yeah, I get a, I get a real question from a, from a nice newbie like myself trying to figure stuff out as they go. It's, 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 it's kind of nice, <laughs> occasionally. I usually refer them to, uh, to Rucker's page because that's usually where I get my questions answered. Mm-hmm. Look, look in the manual that someone found in, you know, great grandpop's basement that someone scanned in PDF form and put on, on the interwebs. <laughs> you know, it's funny because people beat up on you for like just showing your honest attempt to figure stuff out. And everybody's like, obviously, 
you should have done it this way. And it's like, well, it's not obvious to anybody but you. So clearly yeah. you have classic training that you have ne- not shared. So yeah. the poor guy on inter- the internet can't find it and is going to go at it alone. And this is yeah. what he came up with. Like, it's so, it's the double standard. Like, yeah, yeah people are jerks, man. I, I always, well, I guess when I spent more energy attacking the trolls on my Facebook page or on my, or my YouTube page, uh that was always my a lot of times my comeback at least early on was okay if you know so much create a youtube channel and share your knowledge and people are always just like you know snarky <laughs> comment like well dude then you know then buzz off like nobody wants to hear your negativity you're just a jerk like if then then do me a favor go through the comment section answer all these dudes questions that i can't answer you know like if yeah. you're so smart. <laughs> guys are mean I, the internet's the internet's a cruel place it is it's Indeed. cool, I think, um, you know, with this podcast and with the communities that we're all part of on Instagram, it's so supporting and you're helpful whenever you get in a, a bind. It's like you just go online and ask your question. And within an hour or two, usually you'll have an answer. Uh, I feel like most of the time it's a very, very interesting time to be alive. For sure. Definitely. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. It has. I have one more thing to share with you. I don't know if you can see. Draw your attention to what is this? the screen. Ooh, Crocs. Oh, nice. purple Crocs. Those are cool. That's your sister let you borrow those? That's always nice of her. What's that? I said your sister let you borrow those. You know, I don't have <laughs> sisters. No, I bought these on purpose. Oh, okay. you, need to, you need to lock those into four-wheel drive. Put the little tab in and oh, yeah. so they don't <laughs> fall off. Venture strap. That's right. No, uh, I'm at the point in my adulthood where Crocs are the greatest thing Yeah. Ever. They really are fantastic. You guys, you guys probably know the the truck nuts. You know, like you've seen, yes, uh, trucks yep. with with the nut sack hanging off the back. Well, yeah. They, I just saw today that little strap on the back of a crock. They make a little three D printed nut sack that you can attach <laughs> onto the back of there, and you can put them on your crocks. And I think Dave at least needs to get a pair. So he can put them on the back of his Crocs. <laughs> Nothing says class like a pair of nutsacks on your shoes. Yep. <laughs> my uh, my flip flop fell apart, and I was like, you know what? I, you know, I I was uh, as a high schooler, I worked at a uh, outdoor store, and that that was when the Crocs came out. So I was like selling hiking boots into like everybody that was getting into paddling was like, oh, these Crocs, these would be great for like the water, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're good, they're nice. And, uh, like, I was like, these are the dumbest, ugliest, stupidest shoes ever. And now I was like, there's so many moments of my teenager life as a 30 year old or, you know, mid thirties going, Oh, I get it. Mid- you know, middle-aged adults want things that are just nice or comfortable, comfortable and or, like, whatever. Like, and so I've been like wearing them all day, just like walking around the yard in them, you know, go get mm-hmm. them. And I'm like, this is the best shoe ever. What yeah. the hell have I been missing? Like this, <laughs> you have become the very thing you sought to destroy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful so, thing i'm proud I of you summon, dude. i summoned my uh my inner dave uh, Good for you, dude. and you i got your best life now man i'm happy for you yeah think, so of all, think of all the character you're gonna build when just a little bit of sawdust gets inside of those through the little vent holes on top mm. and you just gotta fight through it man you can't take them off. <laughs> right. they're gonna get a little sweaty and <laughs> actually even worse than that aluminum uh like swarf oh. from drilling yeah that definitely happened a couple times, and it was just like you just kind of like 
oh, this is inconvenient. You just it's just a it's a just a minor inconvenience. You roll with it. Just need to make sure I'm not welding. Yeah. Oh man. Don't do that. It's not a good it's not a good call. No. No. But yeah, I was thinking of you the other day. Jackie's like, what are you gonna do? Your flip flops are, are dead. I'm like, I think we're getting crocs. She's like, All right. And we just like did some croc research. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going wild. If I'm gonna get hate on the internet, it's gonna be fun. They're gonna yeah. hate on my purple. <laughs> I like I like them, dude. They're great. Good yeah. for you. Fantastic. All right. Evan's falling asleep on his keyboards here. Let's let's nice. let Daddy go to bed. That's it. All right, gentlemen. Very fun, dudes. We'll catch up all again right. soon. Yeah. Thank you all for listening along with us, just chilling and bantering and catching up. Yes, sir. And this has been the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. Peace out. Good night. See ya. Bye. 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 Yay. Yeah. Same to you, buddy. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Purple Crocs. What? <laughs> I was really torn between tie-dye ones and purple ones. They make tie-dye ones now? Yeah. They go yeah. pretty wild. I like the tactical ones. They got like the like all the different black black pads and like different they're like what the SWAT guy would wear if he was gonna He was gonna wear crocs? He was gonna wear crocs. they're SWAT crocs. Yeah. These are like my, uh, I've got to do like five minutes of yard work, but I don't want to put on like lace up boots. Yeah. Like, like these are nice because I don't have to worry about like walking around in dirty soil, which gets stuck to all your treads. And then your boots turn into like this clumpy, like turd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so happy to have them. I gotta wear some whites. You gotta wear white socks underneath to give yourself like the croc tan line. It'll give oh, you. Oh like, yeah. You gotta wear like the, knee, the, the. Oh, dude. That's like. That's like the modern equivalent of like and shorts, jean shorts and, and white New Balances with grass stains on them. You know? <laughs> That's the, the new dad attire. <laughs>